Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. The pause in fighting between Hamas and Israel is over. The stop to hostilities lasted a week before resuming today. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reports there are still more than 100 Israeli hostages held in Gaza. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office accused Hamas of violating the ceasefire by launching rockets into southern Israel. It said in a statement, the terror group did not live up to its duty to release all the kidnapped women. And with a return to fighting, Israel is committed to releasing all of its hostages and eliminating Hamas. Netanyahu's office said Israeli jets are once again targeting Hamas in Gaza and Palestinian media says there have been casualties from aerial attacks in the southern Gaza Strip. The truce lasted seven days and saw the release of scores of hostages by Hamas and many more prisoners freed by Israel. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Tel Aviv. One of the three college students shot last weekend in Burlington, Vermont, is speaking out. Kenan Abdelhamid is a pre-med student. He and two friends are of Palestinian descent. They were walking when a man opened fire on them. Abdelhamid told ABC's The View he is now out of the hospital and has received a great deal of support. I'm also overwhelmed with the support. I didn't expect a story about a Palestinian being shot to go this far and wide. So I'm definitely extremely grateful for that. A suspect has been charged with attempted murder in Vermont. The FBI is investigating whether the shooting was a hate crime. The House of Representatives is expected to vote this morning on whether to expel New York Republican Congressman George Santos. He is accused of nearly two dozen federal corruption charges. The House Ethics Committee alleges he's committed more crimes. Santos denies wrongdoing. House Speaker Mike Johnson has expressed reservations about the expulsion vote, noting Santos has not been convicted of a crime. A federal judge has blocked a Montana law that sought to ban TikTok across the state. As NPR's Bobby Allen reports, it was the first state law that attempted to completely restrict the Chinese-owned video app. U.S. District Judge Donald Malloy wrote that Montana's TikTok ban oversteps state power and likely violates the First Amendment rights of Montana TikTokers. It is a win for TikTok, which sued Montana in May, arguing that the law amounted to an illegal suppression of speech. Lawyers for TikTok said the national security threat raised by Montana officials was never supported by solid evidence, which the judge agreed with, writing that Montana officials seem to have written the law with, quote, a pervasive undertone of anti-Chinese sentiment. TikTok is owned by Beijing-based tech giant ByteDance, but TikTok says U.S. user data is walled off from the Chinese company. Instead, American tech company Oracle oversees all Americans' TikTok data. Bobby Allen, NPR News. You're listening to NPR News from Washington. I'm Rupa Shinoy. This is WBUR in Boston. Beacon Hill lawmakers are still struggling to pass a $3 billion state closeout budget. The plan includes $250 million for the state's emergency shelter system. Its passage is being held up by House Republicans who object to policy on how that shelter money can be spent. The group was able to block the vote last night by calling for a formal debate. House Ways and Means Chair Democrat Aaron Michaelwitz says lawmakers will meet again today to try to get the bill over the finish line. I think the Republicans in both chambers had opportunities to file amendments uh, to you know, make the debate, and, and I think they did. They lost overwhelmingly all those, all those amendments. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that we're still here and not being able to you know, get this to the governor as quickly as possible. The plan also includes raises for public workers and funding for special education.
A new report on the economic impact of Encore Casino in Everett shows that the casino brought nearly $3 billion to the state. The report from an economic research group at UMass also points out that the casino shifted nearly $170 million in spending away from local businesses. Those who worked on the report say the money that was spent in the state wouldn't have been spent here if not for the casino. The Boston City Council does not plan to move forward with the creation of a new committee focused on domestic violence. Council President Ed Flynn proposed the creation of that committee this week. Other counselors tell the Boston Herald they didn't support the idea because existing committees already cover issues of domestic violence. The Holiday Pops kicks off tonight at Boston Symphony Hall. This year, the beloved tradition celebrates its 50th anniversary. More now from WBUR's Mandela and Pofu. The Holiday Pops has brought the festive spirit to Boston for half a century. And double bassist Larry Wolf was there when it all began in 1973. He joined the Boston Symphony Orchestra in 1970 and says the December shows have always been particularly magical. When we play Holiday Pops, it's the joy of the season. During symphony, it's music for art's sake. Holiday Pops is music for joy's sake. Concert goers can choose from 39 performances this month, including seven matinees for kids and a sensory-friendly show. And keep an eye out for Santa Claus. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Mandy Lempofu. It's 7.06. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Sincere Foundation, which supports organizations that provide food security, housing stability, and safe spaces, and envisions a future where everyone has the opportunity to celebrate, recognize milestones, and honor memories. Sincere Foundation. Learn more and see if your program qualifies at Sincere.com. The Bruins beat the San Jose Sharks 3-0 last night at the Garden. The Bees will visit the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow. Tonight at the Garden, the Celtics take on the Philadelphia 76ers. Increasing clouds today with a chance for showers later this afternoon. It'll be in the mid-50s. Showers overnight, it'll be near 40. Cloudy tomorrow and in the mid-50s. Another chance for rain on Sunday and in the lower 50s. It's 43 degrees in Boston. Thanks for listening to WBUR. WVUR supporters include Fisher Investments. As a fiduciary, Fisher Investments is obligated to act in their client's best interest. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. I'm Deepa Fernandez. The crisis in journalism has been chronicled many times over. The pandemic and current economic conditions hasten the decline. Most of the focus has been on newspapers, but even WBUR's own future is far from assured. That's why we need more members and member dollars. Giving $10 or $20 every month is the single best thing you can do to keep our journalism going. Give monthly at WBUR.org. And thank you. Good morning. We're in our year-end fundraiser here at WBUR. I'm Rupa Shanoi, Morning Edition host, and we're reminding you to include WBUR in your year-end giving because you rely on us throughout the year for the news and companionship that keeps you connected to your community and keeps your community informed at a time where it is so important to know what's going on. News just this morning, like the fast-changing situation in Gaza, you want to know about that. You want to know the latest. All you have to do is turn the knob to 90.9 or hit the WBUR app or say play, play WBUR, and you right there 
can know about the world, everything you want to know about the world, right there. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 and make sure that service continues at the level you depend on every morning. You care about the world. You want to be in the world. You should know that today is the last day you have a chance to win a trip anywhere in the world. There are other great reasons to give this morning, but that is the headline right there. This is your last chance to win a trip to go anywhere in the world. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm joined this morning by Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering. Good morning, Tiziana. Good morning, Rupa. You know, the world is increasingly complex. We are keeping up with it in the reporting as much as we can, but it's going to get more complex and we will need more members, more sustainers to keep going. Just one example, the new coverage Gabriella Emanuel has been doing on the family shelter system. Massachusetts has one of the country's only state-run family shelter systems, and thousands of families turned to this system at their hardest moment. And this year, what happened is that there was a record number of parents and children in our state that needed a homeless shelter. Some of these people were longtime residents, others were new arrivals, but there were so many people that the state had to close the doors and create a wait list. This is something that has never happened before in the system's 40-year history. For the first time ever, like, we really had nowhere to send a family. They were just completely drained. They didn't want any sort of dinner. Like, the mom, she kept telling us, Se nos quito el hambre, which means, like, my hunger was taken from me because of the stress. This is one of the stories we brought you from a community group that stretched very thin. We also heard from lawmakers who hold the purse strings, pastors, advocates, local and state officials, and even experts in other places with similar predicaments. And of course, we heard from the families who are seeking answers and seeking help. I'm a single dad of two boys, and both my son has medical issues where it's almost impossible for me to go to work. And last time I checked, it's 28 degrees outside this morning. Where the hell am I going with my children? Our state's right to shelter law is this pretty unique commitment to support our most vulnerable neighbors. But the system is at a breaking point, and it's up to the state, the community, the people to figure out what happens next. At WBUR, our job is to distill what's important in this kind of messy and complicated system. We're doing it because you need the information in order to be engaged and involved in charting that path forward. And the state has been in a deadlock about that funding, and we know legislators have actually been following Gabriella's reporting. Mm-hmm. You fund that, and we need more of it to keep going. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. We know that because they're telling you that on Radio Boston, right? This is how we follow up on the news throughout the day. I am so proud every morning that I can introduce a story by Gabriella because this is the impactful journalism that you don't hear anywhere else. And these are the issues that we know are important to you, that you want to know that we are on and telling you what is most important about them and holding uh, officials to account like Tiziana does on Radio Boston. We need your help to make sure that we can continue bringing that important service to you. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you so much. Sweepstakes ends today, so do it now. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Mass General Brigham Health Plan, 
Integrated with one of the world's leading healthcare systems and offering innovative plans, a broad network of doctors, and options for individuals, families, and retirees. Mass General Brigham Health Plan is focused on you and those important to you every day. MassGeneralBrighamHealthPlan.org And Boston Ballet's The Nutcracker. Beloved characters and stunning dancing will enchant audiences of all ages. Through December 31st, tickets at BostonBallet.org. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Leila Faldil. And I'm Steve Inskeep. Good morning. The Israel-Hamas war is back on today. A truce expired with each side blaming the other. Israel says Hamas fired rockets out of Gaza. Israeli forces dropped bombs on Gaza. And the NPR producer on the ground affirms numerous people have been killed. So Israel is moving forward, at least for now, in its effort to destroy Hamas, which has ruled Gaza. And we still don't know who would replace them. Let's talk about this with Khalil Shakaki. He is director of the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research. He is based in Ramallah on the West Bank. He's now in Boston. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Uh, beginning assumptions here. Do you view it as likely or certain that Israel will, in fact, displace Hamas from ruling Gaza? Highly unlikely. I can't see a scenario in which Israel will successfully eliminate Hamas completely. It will significantly weaken it, but there is little prospect that it will be able to completely uh, destroy the movement ability to have some residual governing uh, capacity in the Gaza Strip. Really? So you envision Hamas still there and still trying to run the place, even as Israeli troops move where they want to move? I believe that Israel, if its goals are to be achieved, will have to reoccupy the entire Gaza Strip. But then the question will be, then do what? If Israel wants to stay, uh, there will be counterinsurgency. That will be its mission, because Hamas will continue to fight and inflict the casualties on the Israelis. The Israelis will then have to decide whether they want to continue to fight Hamas or have somebody else control Gaza. And at that point, a question will be, who will that third party be? And right now, of course, there is no consensus on what that will be. The US wants the PA to return. Um, Israel might be interested in some other options. Well, let's talk that through. The United States wants the PA to return. You refer, of course, to the Palestinian Authority, which currently governs the West Bank, where you live, the other large Palestinian, somewhat controlled region, uh, region uh, uh, nearby. The Palestinian Authority has not expressed any interest in taking over governance, has it? The Palestinian Authority is interested, but it does not want its return to Gaza to be the product of an agreement with Israel uh, that would look like the Palestinian Authority is an agent uh, that will replace the Israeli army. And therefore, it does it has no interest in doing that. It knows if that is to happen, then it, the Palestinian Authority, will become a target of Hamas, just as the Israeli army is likely to be. And therefore, the Palestinian Authority wants its return to be part of a larger deal on a two-state solution that will be negotiated between the two sides and an agreement that would allow it to return with Hamas's consent. Oh, well, let's talk that through. A two-state solution. This is something the United States 
has uh, always or nearly always favored. The current Israeli government, the current Israeli prime minister does not. Benjamin Netanyahu talks of something considerably uh, below uh, a Palestinian state. I just like to know at this moment, I mean, there's a lot of public support, it seems, among Palestinians for Hamas, which does not favor a two-state solution, favors the elimination of Israel. Do you think there is significant Palestinian public support for a two-state solution if it ever really were on off offer? Right now, there isn't. But that is the position of the Palestinian Authority. If this looks like a feasible solution to the conflict, there will be greater support. Right now, the lack of support is mainly due to the belief that it is simply not feasible. The fact that Israelis are opposed to the two-state solution... Do you think that any Palestinian leader could support a two-state solution and stay in power? Would he even have enough support to do that? Of course, the current Palestinian leadership is in favor of a two-state solution. The official position of the PLO and the Palestinian Authority is indeed to create a Palestinian state alongside the state of Israel. Okay. Khalil Shakaki is director of the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And for coverage and different perspectives on this conflict, you can visit npr.org slash Middle East. President Biden insists Ukraine and Israel both need more money from Congress. That's what he says. But right now, a separate negotiation over border policy is holding all that up. Some House Republicans are insisting that they will not vote for Biden's latest Ukraine aid package unless it is attached to their preferred border security measures. NPR's Franco Ordonez has been covering this from Capitol Hill, and he joins us now. Hi, Franco. Hello. Hey, so immigration has been a difficult issue for Congress. What are they trying to achieve this time? Yeah, I mean, these talks have been very different than they have in the past. I mean, for example, it's unlikely to include a path to citizenship or really any form of legalization for the undocumented, which has been a long-time goal for Democrats. The focus is instead on border security and specifically tightening the rules for asylum and making it harder for asylum seekers to stay in the country while their cases can be decided. Now, Senator Tom Tillis, he's helping lead the negotiations for Republicans. He told us yesterday that Democrats don't want to recognize that the numbers in Congress have changed. They have to understand that we rightfully will get something more conservative than some of the deals that I negotiated in the last Congress. It hasn't quite set in yet to some of my friends who are looking at this on this side of Capitol Hill that we actually have control over one of the chambers. Now, as negotiations move along, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is planning to hold a vote next week on some elements of this plan, but he really wants to force that along and he hopes that will do it. But it's really not expected to pass. They really need more time. What about Democrats in the White House? No path for citizenship, no legalization. It, it doesn't sound like something that will resonate with their supporters. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really for sure. I mean, advocates have spoken out against these potential changes. They argue that it's going to remove key avenues for the most vulnerable to get to safety. And there's no question that these have been difficult discussions for the Democrats. I mean, Senator Dick Durbin told us yesterday he's very worried about an outcry from progressives. And here's Senator Chris Murphy talking about some of the challenges just yesterday. This is really hard. This is really hard. I wish Republicans weren't forcing us into this position. 
I mean, the dynamics have changed. I mean, the border crisis is not just a border issue anymore. Mm. Big cities like Chicago and New York are scrambling to accommodate busloads of arriving migrants. And you have Democratic mayors, Democratic mayors and Democratic governors calling on Biden to do more on the border. Now, the White House, they say they're taking action. Uh, but it's also beating the drum about the crisis in Ukraine and the dangers of Vladimir Putin. Just yesterday, the White House warned that they probably have only until the end of the year before they run out of money to support Ukraine. So how is it that we got here? I mean, Ukraine has had strong bipartisan support for so long. Why such a dramatic change among Republicans all of a sudden? Yeah, I mean, some of it has to do with the declining U.S. support for the war as it's dragged on. You also have a new speaker in the House who's much more aligned with the hard right. And that faction has increasingly been calling for an end to Ukraine funding. The new speaker, that's Mike Johnson, he's made it very clear to negotiators just this week that the House will not support a Ukraine deal unless there are specific changes to the border, significant changes. And while some have suggested Johnson could surely look to Democrats to get help to get the deal across the finish line, as Republicans tell us, that's just a recipe for Johnson losing his speakership job. NPR's Franco Ordonez. Thanks, Franco. Thank you. After a big delay, the federal student aid form known as the FAFSA reopens later this month with big changes. This application determines how much millions of families have to pay for college. NPR's Alyssa Nadworny reports the new version is shorter and easier to fill out. College-bound seniors have a lot to do in the college application process. I've been writing so many essays. Marley Jones, a high school senior in eastern Tennessee, is nearly done with her college checklist. She has completed 15 applications already. But filling out the FAFSA and finding out how she'll pay for college is the one big thing she has left to do. Money will play a big part in where I decide to go. I mean, it could be the difference from me going to MIT or me going to Alabama. You know what I mean? The FAFSA is usually out in October, so you can know how much aid, including grants and loans, you'll be eligible for pretty early. But this year, the Education Department says the updated form will launch sometime before December 31st. The reason for the delay? There's a ton of changes to this year's form. These are the biggest changes that are happening to the federal student aid form in decades. Justin Drager is the president of the National Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators. These are really good changes that will translate into more dollars for students and families. The form has been simplified. There are fewer questions. Instead of using a tool to use info from a prior year's tax return, this year's form is integrated with IRS data, which should make it way easier to access financial information. If you are a low-income student or family in this country, we are going to stop asking you to prove over and over and over again that you are low-income. The Education Department has also tweaked the way eligibility is calculated. So now, in the how much you can pay category, that number can fall below zero to convey to a college a student has serious financial need. This is all good news for families and students, but the late December launch makes it so that colleges and universities won't get any student data from the completed applications until the end of January. And that means colleges are going to be in a crunch to process and send students their financial aid offer letters. So students like Marley Jones in Tennessee may have less time to make what is often 
a really big personal and financial decision. Listen, Adwarney, NPR News. This is NPR News. You're with WBUR on a Friday morning. In 15 minutes, what AI programs like ChatGPT are doing right and wrong. It's 725. WBUR supporters include the law firm of Nutter, McLennan & Fish, counsel to leading companies and institutions for more than a century, client-focused, collaborative, this is Nutter, online at nutter.com, and Revision Energy. Sunbug Solar is now part of Revision Energy a solar installer committed to fighting climate change in New England. SunbugSolar.com. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. I believe real journalism is essential to our daily life and our collective future. I believe public radio is one of the last great hopes for journalism in our country. If you believe these things too, then I'm asking you to start a monthly contribution to WBUR. It doesn't have to be a lot of money, maybe just 10 to $15 a month. It'll go a long way to protect one of life's essentials. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Meghna Chakrabarty there, one of the voices you know and trust from WBUR. She's reminding you that you are crucial to us being able to bring you high-quality journalism every morning at a time when facts and being well-informed have never been more important. We're in our year-end fundraiser here on WBUR's Morning Edition. I'm Rupa Shanoi, here with Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering. We're asking you to support WBUR as you think about your year-end contributions to the organizations that are meaningful in your life and that you depend on throughout the year, like you depend on WBUR every morning. When you give, today is the last day you'll have a chance to win a trip anywhere in the world. So ask yourself, where would you want to go? And go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Here's Tiziana. You know, when I hear Magna say that, I often key into the I believe. But this nonprofit journalism is incredibly important. That's what we are at WBUR. And we increasingly are understanding that nonprofit journalism is the way (laughs) to bring quality news and information to a democracy because you care about that, because you understand that that's what's necessary for us to thrive, especially in this time, with, uh, for example, artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. increasingly making it hard to determine what's real and what's not. Mm -hmm. We are the bastion, and we're beholden to nobody but you, but we need you. Mm -hmm. And today, especially when today is the last day to get in on this sweepstakes, let me give you the number real quick, 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. We know it's also important to have a dream. Where would you dream to go? My name's Terry. I'm from Worcester. The number one place on my bucket list is Lebanon, because my grandparents came from there. I'm Debbie from Needham, and I've always wanted to visit Alaska in order to see the natural beauty of Denali National Park. My name is Caroline from Cambridge, and the number one place on my bucket list is Egypt. And I've always wanted to go because of the pyramids, ruins, and the incredible history and culture that there is to see there. So yeah, this is a chance to go anywhere in the world. A trip for two, $10,000. It's something you customize. You you dream it. You make it happen. So this is your thought. Think about where you want to go to the world, but also in the world, but also think about 
how we foster your connection to the world every morning. We make that possible for you. And all of that is only possible because of you and others in your community who step up on days like this and recognize that they have a role in making sure WBWare is there for this community. It only happens with your support. And we know that you want to keep it coming, and that is what is important to you. Impact is important to you. Journalism is important to you. Upholding democracy is important. Also, thank you gifts, like being able to be in this sweepstakes and a 12, with a $12 a month gift to WBUR. You get a um, year-long subscription to Babbel. This is the world's first language learning app, also the best-selling language app because there are a lot of them out there. More than 10,000 people have used Babbel to learn a language and can tell you it works. So that is what you will have to work with. You can learn a language and then you can go anywhere in the world. We're asking you to dream this morning and support WBUR. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. What intense times, huh? What intense times that we live in. And I think ahead to next year when there's also an election. We are keeping up, but there's going to be more to come. And we'll need more of you to keep keeping up. So please do it now. Take advantage of the gifts, but help us keep up. We need you to do it. 800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And thanks. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Indiana University, committed to moving the world forward and working to tackle some of society's biggest challenges. Nine campuses, one purpose, creating tomorrow today. More at IU.edu. From the Center for Audit Quality, committed to enhancing public trust in the economy through assurance. Auditors are serving investors, small businesses, and working Americans. Learn more at thecaq.org. From the Kauffman Foundation, providing access to opportunities that help people achieve financial stability, upward mobility, and economic prosperity, regardless of race, gender, or geography. Kauffman.org and from the Doris Duke Foundation. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Fighting between Israel and Hamas has resumed following a seven-day pause. That window included two short extensions. NPR producer Anas Baba says the Israeli military struck a house in Rafah City minutes after that truce expired. The families that's neighboring the, the target house most of them, they were just like screaming in the streets, uh, and their faces are covered with dust, with the gray dust. Uh, they were screaming that uh, we didn't know anything, we didn't, uh, we didn't understand what's happened. During the pause in fighting, Hamas released dozens of hostages kidnapped in southern Israel during the militants' deadly assault on October 7th. In exchange, Israel released 240 Palestinians held in Israeli jails. The U.N.'s Secretary General is urging delegates at the U.N. Climate Summit in Dubai to take action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Earth's vital signs are failing. Record emissions, ferocious fires, deadly droughts, and the hottest year ever. But it is not too late. That's Antonio Guterres speaking at today's opening ceremony. President Biden and China's President Xi Jinping are not attending the talks scheduled to last two weeks. The U.S. and China have the world's two largest economies. This is NPR News from Washington. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. 
COVID rates are ticking up in Massachusetts. WBUR's Priyanka Dale McCluskey reports that Thanksgiving gatherings may have contributed to the uptick. The level of COVID in Boston area wastewater has fluctuated for several weeks, but there's a noticeable increase from the days before Thanksgiving to just after the holiday. There's clearly people in the community becoming infected. Dr. David Hamer is a global health expert at Boston University. He says people at higher risk of illness should consider masking in crowded places. The most important thing is for those who are higher risk to really be cautious in terms of public places and public transportation. COVID levels are still relatively low compared with previous surges. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Priyanka Dayal McCluskey. Congressman Jim McGovern has some harsh words on the legacy of the late National Security Advisor and Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. McGovern posted on social media that he would remember the lives Kissinger, quote, destroyed in countries like Vietnam and Cambodia. McGovern added that he will, quote, never forgive or forget him. Kissinger died Wednesday at the age of 100. Officers with the Provincetown Police Department will be equipped with new body cameras when they go on duty today. The department says the cameras are a step toward better transparency. It also puts the town in line with the state's 2020 police reform law. It's 734. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the School of the Museum of Fine Arts at Tufts University, hosting its 45th annual art sale, December 8th through the 10th. More at smfa.tufts.edu. The Bruins shut out the San Jose Sharks 3-0 last night at the Garden. The Bees will visit the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow. Tonight, the Celtics will host the Philadelphia 76ers. Mid-50s today under skies that will grow increasingly overcast, bringing a chance of rain late this afternoon. The clouds stick around tonight as it falls to the low 40s. Mostly cloudy in mid-50s tomorrow, rain on Sunday in the upper 40s. It's 43 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Data IQ, a platform for everyday AI, dedicated to helping teams move beyond the lab to build generative AI applications at enterprise scale. D-A-T-A-I-K-U dot com. And from the law firm Cooley LLP, With offices in the U.S., Europe, and Asia, Cooley advises entrepreneurs, investors, financial institutions, and established companies around the world, where innovation meets the law. This is NPR. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Leila Falden. Georgia last night played host to an unusual debate between one governor, who's also a presidential candidate, and another governor who people think could be one. Yeah, it was between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's running for the Republican presidential nomination, and California's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom. Fox News billed this as a red state, blue state debate which uh, was not subtle at all. There was a background of blue for Newsom and a background of red for DeSantis. The debate was hosted by Sean Hannity. Here now to fill us in is NPR senior political editor and correspondent Domenico Montanaro. Hi, Domenico. Good morning, Leila. Good morning. So tell us what happened and why did it even happen in the first place? (laughs) Well, you know, these are two guys who really like the spotlight a lot. But it was DeSantis who really had a lot more on the line here because he's the one actually running for president right now. That's a point Newsom made early and often. There are profound differences tonight, and I look forward to engaging them. But there's one thing in closing that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. 
You know, Newsom was happy to needle uh, DeSantis over and over again during this debate. Conservatives and some Democrats have needled Newsom in essentially accusing him of running a shadow campaign. Newsom tried to make clear over and over again that that's not the case, defending President Biden often during this debate. But Newsom has thrust himself into the conversation for the presidency. And if he's not angling to run this cycle, which he stresses he's not, he certainly appears to be doing so, positioning himself at least for 2028. Mm -hmm. And you said there seemed to be more on the line for DeSantis here. How did he handle the debate? You know, I think his people feel really good about it. Um, it was certainly a friendly environment for him. The topics benefited his point of view, talking about people moving out of California because of high taxes, immigration, violent crime, homelessness. You get the idea. Mm -hmm. And the California liberal reputation is going to be a hurdle for Newsom if he does decide to run at some point. You know, DeSantis stressed that Biden wants to replicate the California model for the nation. Newsom was quick to counter, charging that Florida's tax system hurts working people, that DeSantis bullies the marginalized and that women's reproductive rights are under assault because of Florida's six-week abortion ban. Here's how DeSantis shot back. You know he's lying to you about all these other facts and figures, uh, about all this other stuff. He's just throwing stuff out to see what sticks against yeah. the wall. This is a slick, slippery politician. Yeah. You know, DeSantis went after Newsom on the debate about books and schools, even the cleanliness, you could say, of California cities in pretty provocative ways. He brought on stage what appeared to be a page from a graphic novel with partially blacked out images showing sexual acts huh. that he's claiming is in California schools, as well as a map of, frankly, well, poop that he said is from an app depicting parts of San Francisco. Okay, he's really pulling out all the stops there. <laughs> Do you think any of what he did helped him get what he needed out of this debate, which is to get a boost in the Republican primary? Yeah, I'm not sure it did. You know, time's really running out for DeSantis. He's trailing former President Trump by a lot. There's only 44 days to the Iowa caucuses where he needs to do really well. It's tough for him because Newsom seemed not only to want to defend California, but also try to tank DeSantis's campaign. When are you going to drop out and at least give Nikki Haley a shot to take down Donald Trump in this nomination? She laid you out. Oh. It's tough to debate a man with nothing to lose. In the end, neither of them may be elected president 2024, but this could be a preview of the next presidential cycle. NPR's Domenico Montanaro. Thanks, Domenico. You're welcome. It's been a year since ChatGPT made its public debut. And in that time, people have been trying to figure out what it's good at, what it's not good at, and how AI tools more broadly will change how we live and how we work. As NPR's Andrea Shu reports, it's a lot of learn as you go. If you wonder how useful, really, are these AI chatbots, well, consider this story from John Friedman about the time he dropped his daughter off at a community center for her first basketball practice. And I get there, and the person signing all the girls up said to me, oh, she's on this team. They don't have a coach yet. Well, Friedman played basketball in high school. He's a big Steph Curry fan, but he'd never coached basketball before. Never mind, he thought, and went to his computer. You see, Friedman is a corporate vice president at Microsoft. He's leading the development of Microsoft's chatbot, Copilot. He asked it. How do you get started coaching a eighth grade girls basketball team? The bot told him, understand the rules of the league. Know the level of your players. Plan practices. He then told it to come up with five days of one-hour practices for beginners. And I got all of these awesome practices that I then turned into practices that we used. In Friedman's mind, this is what AI should be, a tool to help us, not replace us. But already, newspapers have used AI to write recaps of high school sports matches. Video game companies are using AI to come up with characters. 
It's easy to think, could AI be coming for all of our jobs? I am not saying that. But Karen Kimbrough, chief economist at LinkedIn, which is owned by Microsoft, says AI will change how most of us work. Sort of enhance what we can do. And ultimately, what we're hoping is that'll give us some productivity growth. It'll make us more efficient. But there are all kinds of pitfalls along the way. John Friedman readily admits AI is prone to mistakes, also known as hallucinations. It gets things wrong. It'll confidently tell you something that's just incorrect. And if people aren't taking ownership and control over that, it's so easy to spread misinformation. In ways that could be harmful to people and society. It's daunting given these tools are available for anyone to use, for fun or for work. Jeffrey Garcia, a technical program manager, tried using AI to overcome a lifelong frustration with art. As a kid, he would close his eyes and conjure up a detailed image in his mind. And then my hands were incapable of creating it. <laughs> so I, uh, I have a deep love for art, but I suck at it. <laughs> Earlier this year, he started playing around with the program Midjourney. You give it instructions, it gives you an image. Garcia and his wife live outside Baltimore, and his wife's a biologist. He thought, let's get the program to create a vintage-style poster of a Baltimore Oriole. The bird species. Which the AI delivered, except his wife pointed out there were extra toes on its feet. Garcia was impressed that the bot thought to add a skyline with a couple Baltimore landmarks, but... You know, if you're familiar with the city, it doesn't really hold up. Experiments like this have informed how Garcia uses AI at work. He thinks of it as an assistant whose work needs to be checked. So a first draft of a project plan? Sure, he says, AI can handle that. Other things like correspondence, he's not ready to relinquish. While I am, uh, I'm a human being, I'm flawed and <laughs> will often miscommunicate, I don't feel comfortable handing off this thing that I view as essential and deeply human to an automated system. But not everyone will be so careful. Earlier this year, a New York lawyer suing an airline was caught citing bogus cases that ChatGPT had just made up. Do such a thing. Andrea Shu, NPR News. This is NPR News. You're listening to Morning Edition on WBUR. At the top of the hour, the latest on the situation in Gaza. Fighting has resumed between Israel and Hamas after a seven-day pause and exchanges of hostages for prisoners. It's 743. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Sincere Foundation, which supports organizations that provide food security, housing stability, and safe spaces, and envisions a future where everyone has the opportunity to celebrate, recognize milestones, and honor memories. Sincere Foundation. Learn more and see if your program qualifies at Sincere.com. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. Misinformation is having a profound impact on our country. We need strong voices that tell the truth and deliver the facts. WBUR amplifies those voices, and its strength is listener support. Monthly contributions to WBUR ensure that hundreds of thousands of listeners get information they need to make critical decisions every day. Not a monthly contributor yet? You can make a meaningful difference at WBUR.org or call one 800 909 9287.
I am such a big fan of Mary Louise <laughs> Kelly. I'm sure you remember that. Why the, not? Yeah, the, the 2020 interview with uh, then Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Do you remember when he, he he got angry at her during an interview and he was like, you don't even know where Ukraine is on a map. and Gave he her had, a blank map. His Yeah, his aides brought in an unlabeled map and she easily pointed it out. I mean, these are the people who fight every day for truth and fairness and facts. And they're doing that for you. We're asking you to make sure that service continues. We're in our year-end fundraiser here on WBUR. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Radio Boston host T.C. Undeering, who you just heard. Hello. <laughs> we are reminding you that listeners make up the largest share of WBUR's funding. We need you to do your part because our future is not guaranteed. And this morning, we have two great reasons to give I'm only going to tease one of them, a trip to go anywhere in the world, and that ends today. You only have that chance today. At the end of today, there is no chance to go on a trip anywhere in the world. So you'll have to keep listening for more about that and the other great reason that I mentioned, or maybe Tiziana will tell you about it. Or you can just go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And here's Tiziana. I mean, after today, maybe you can, but not courtesy of CBT Travel and yeah. WBUR for free. Yes, thank <laughs> you. thousand yeah. dollar value. Um, you know, Mary Louise uh, Kelly said WBUR reaches hundreds of thousands of people. It's true. Hundreds of thousands of people every week. You'll hear this time of year people saying, make sure you know the impact of your gift you will find very few, if any, other organizations you could give to at this time of year that can tell you that every week they will touch hundreds of thousands of lives. And you know what it means to have us affect you because you rely on us every day. That's why we're asking you to make a contribution at one 800 909 9287 or WBUR.org because it is an existential thing right now to be fighting for the facts. It's Leila Faldil from NPR's Morning Edition. The demonization of fact-based journalism is one of democracy's biggest threats. This aversion to truth has taken hold as the number of local newsrooms has dwindled, leaving reams of disinformation to fill the void. In public radio, we have a responsibility to counteract disinformation. This station is an oasis amid all the noise and fiction. Having a reporter at the school board meeting at City Hall, that is our resistance to the undermining of a free press. We resist by being there, by providing platforms for people to see themselves reflected and to see difference. We resist by building bridges and by holding people to account. We do it thanks to you. You give us the tools we need to fight attacks on truth by donating to this station. Here's how. Go to WBUR.org or call one 800 909 9287. Truth is important to you. Facts are important to you. You don't need uh, us to say thank you, but we are so grateful and we do have ways to say thank you. I was a little bit, uh, I was looking up, I wondering because when you give $12 a month, you get a year long subscription to Babbel, the language learning app. I was just wondering, you know, how much does it cost a month to have Babbel? And it's just about 
It's, it looks like it's around $14 a month, though. So th this is what a subscription to Babbel would essentially cost you. And when you do it through us, you get to support WBUR and the facts and the unbiased journalism and the fighting for the truth that you value absolutely every single morning and you depend on. And you'll be entered into a sweepstakes to go anywhere in the world. And we need to remind you that this is the last day that that is available. So go to WBUR.org or call one 800 909 we are funded by you, our listeners, and by Ocean State Job Lot, committed to fighting hunger in the Northeast by donating food to local food banks and pantries. OceanStateJobLot.com and Metro West Subaru, where same-day and next-day service appointments are available. Service until 9 on Route 9 in Natick. And Boston Ballet's The Nutcracker. Beloved characters and stunning dancing will enchant audiences of all ages. Through December 31st, tickets at bostonballet.org. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Leila Faudel. After an NPR investigation, the Department of Veterans Affairs has halted foreclosures for thousands of veterans who were about to lose their homes through no fault of their own. But it turns out there's another whole layer, people who were pushed into loan modifications they can't afford. It's not clear what the VA is going to do to help them, as NPR's Chris Arnold and Quill Lawrence report. When the VA halted foreclosures last week, that was a big relief to thousands of veterans who are on the verge of losing their homes. But it might be too little too late for people like Edward O'Connor. You know, they, they give you promises and then they give you, you know, an empty cup. You know, um, I'm just kind of disgusted with it all. O'Connor's 69 years old. He volunteered for the Marine Corps during the Vietnam War. He bought a house in Virginia in 2019 with a loan backed by the VA. But when COVID hit, his wife lost her job and they were going to miss a mortgage payment. Their mortgage company told them, though, that that was OK. They could do what's called a COVID forbearance. She said, well, you know, you sign this, you send it back. We add the payments to the end of your mortgage, blah, blah, blah. You know, your rate won't increase. The payments remain the same. And I said, man, this would be great relief. But that's not how it worked, because a year ago, the VA ended a program that provided the only path for veterans to get current on their loans again and keep their same low interest rate and mortgage payment. When the VA ended that program, that stranded thousands of veterans who were still on a forbearance plan with no affordable way to get current on their loans. O'Connor says he was told that he had to come up with upwards of $32,000 to get caught up. They were going to do a foreclosure on me. Because they said I had to pay this amount of money, and I, I don't have $32,000. While this was happening, O'Connor was actually in the hospital getting his leg amputated due to a blood infection he says he got while serving in the Philippines. Being in and out of the hospital, I mean, I'm talking on the phone, calling people up. You know, it, it's hard because you're asking for information. It's home at the house. I don't have it with me. I mean, it's just, it, it, it was crazy. We talked to him on a Zoom call. He was wheeling around his house in his new wheelchair. After NPR first reported on thousands of veterans in this situation, the VA halted for closures for six months. But this is where that whole other layer of complication comes in. It's looking too late for people like O'Connor because in order to avoid foreclosure, O'Connor says he's already been pushed into a loan modification at today's much higher interest rates. They're over 7%. So they up my mortgage rate. So I'm kind of like, wait a minute, you guys are really screwing me here. Getting when I got to home, I was only paying 1750 
you know, now I'm paying 2400 O'Connor says it's hard for him and his wife to afford much besides food and keeping the lights on. Like, I, I make the car payment late, um, maybe two credit bills late. We don't go to the store that often. And Pierre has heard from veterans from Hawaii to Florida to New York who are all telling pretty much the same story. I can't pay you four grand a month of the money I really don't have. And it's, it's Christmas, for God's sake. I feel like I've been hoodwinked. I feel like I've been scammed almost. So, like, I'll have a house, but I won't have lights. I won't have gas. I won't have food for my kids. Those were Air Force vet Mark Dulac, Navy vet Karen Whitley, and Marine Joe Mena. VA officials say they don't know how many veterans have been pushed into a loan modification that jacked up their payments. This week at a press conference, we asked VA Secretary Dennis McDonough, what about them? Might there be a way to help some of these people who are not like right now on the verge of foreclosure, but they ended up in a in a really bad place um, and it wasn't the deal that they were promised? For those veterans in a situation like the one you talked about, Chris, we are here now to help. There may be bigger policy fixes later, but we want them to be in touch with us now. We're also concerned, obviously, to hear that some of our vets feel that they've been misled. So we're looking into that. Former Marine Joe Mena, who we heard earlier saying it's hard to afford food for his kids, he certainly feels misled. Mena joined the Marines in 2007 when the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were raging. He served three deployments and then came home to start a family. He lost work during the pandemic, then heard about forbearance. I thought that was honestly the coolest thing in the world. He was told the same thing as others, just defer paying, and those missed payments would get shifted to the back end of his 30-year mortgage. I was like, I don't mind having a 31-year mortgage. That's fine. Like, I'm going to be living in this house forever. But putting the missed payments to the back, that didn't happen. September of this year, they sent me a statement that said that the forbearance is up. You are now in foreclosure. He says he was told he either had to come up with $57,000 to catch up, which he doesn't have, or do a loan modification. He says his first payment is actually due today, and it's gone up by more than $1,300 a month. Mena lost a buddy in a particularly bad way in Iraq, and it still haunts him. He's in therapy twice a week for post-traumatic stress. I suffer from suicidal ideation constantly. So... This is one of the times that it's, it's, this is a type of trigger that would put me in an inpatient facility. Mena says he grew up with four siblings and a single mom who did her best, but they got evicted from apartments sometimes. This is the first time he's owned a house. And he's exactly who the VA home loan has been for since World War II. Veterans who need a leg up into the middle class to help them become homeowners, offer them that stability. My one goal is to have a house for my kids. I'm trying to keep keep it all together for the kids that I love and my wife that I love very much. But I'm not together at all. Mena has no idea if this new program the VA is rolling out is going to help him since he's already been pushed into this new loan modification that he says he can't afford. Mena says he's reached out to VA to ask what he should do next, and he's waiting to hear what they say. VA Secretary Dennis McDonough told us anybody who's stuck in a similar situation should be doing just that. Reach out to them at va.gov slash housing dash assistance. Quill Lawrence. Chris Arnold, NPR News. 
If you or someone you know may be considering suicide or is in crisis, call or text 988 to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. Our theme music is inspired by B.J. Liederman, and I'm Leila Faldel. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Harvard Art Museums, with over 50 galleries of art spanning the centuries. Free admission every day, open Tuesday through Sunday. HarvardArtMuseums.org. And Uncommon Feasts, offering full-service culinary event catering for your distinctive social and corporate gatherings. Gather around. Let's feast. We're in our year-end fundraiser here on WBUR's Morning Edition. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Tiziana Deering, and we are asking you to think about how we help you make sense of the world and your neighborhood every single day, how we are the fabric of your day. This is when we come back to you to ask you to do your part in making sure this service continues for you and your community at the level you depend on. And making incredible journalism possible is reward in itself, but you'll also be entered into a sweepstakes to go anywhere in the world. Today is the last day that is available. At the end of today, there is no longer a chance to win a $10,000 trip for two wherever you want to go, which how many many times? When do you get those kind of chances? You only have that chance today. So give it WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And here's Tiziana. You know, I've never been to France. What? Yeah, I'd love to see the Louvre. Um, There are so many places in the world that we'll never touch. There are so many places in France you should go. (laughs) But NPR and WBUR bring that world to you every day. It's part of what you rely on. Uh, And not just that, but the truth about what's happening in the world every day and the truth about what's happening in your neighborhood every day, uh, at the state house every day, on the tea or not <laughs> every day. And you rely on that and you know you can. And because of that, we're asking you to be one of the listeners who brings that to hundreds of thousands of people. You want to talk about impact, that's impact. Mm-hmm. And we're asking you to do it right now because this is the last day to get in on that wonderful sweepstakes, which is just the fun part. The serious part is the quality news and information you rely on. The fun part is why not do it today and get in on on this chance for right. a $10,000 trip for two. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Impact plus fun equals, I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> and there's more. I don't know if you've ever been at a party and people have asked you, you know, one of those party games, what would you want your superpower to be? I would definitely want my superpower to be to be able to speak every language. That's so cool. And that, but that's I would teleport, uh, but get more power to you. <laughs> okay, all right, back to the language. <laughs> Being able to speak every language isn't possible. Until it is, the closest you can come is a language learning app, and Babbel is the most popular one out there, and that's because it works. You get a one-year subscription to Babbel with a contribution of $12 a month, which is basically what a subscription to Babbel costs. But this way you support WBUR and the news you depend on at the same time and you get 
entered into this sweepstakes to go anywhere in the world, a $10,000 trip from CBT Travel. It's only available today. At the end of today, you'll be thinking, gosh, I wish I, I wish I had a chance to go anywhere in the world. And you'll be thinking about it. You'll be like, Angola, Australia, Ireland, India, San Diego, Sao Paulo. France. I, yes, yes. And you will no longer have the chance to go there. So act today on this Friday. If you've been waiting, this is a great day to do it before this chance goes away. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Indeed, designed to be an end-to-end hiring solution for businesses of all sizes to attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one platform. Learn more at indeed.com NPR. From Fisher Investments, Fisher Investments' team of specialists offer guidance on investing, retirement income, and social security. Fisherinvestments.com. Investing in securities involve the risk of loss. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. I'm reporter Deborah Becker, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org, WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. The pause in fighting between Israel and Hamas is over. It had lasted for a week. During the seven-day window, Hamas released dozens of hostages who were kidnapped when the militants attacked southern Israel on October 7th. In exchange, Israel released more than 180 Palestinians held in Israeli jails. NPR's Brian Mann has more from Tel Aviv. Israel's military said in statements that jet fighters are once again attacking targets inside Gaza. Hamas has, quote, violated the operational pause and fired toward Israeli territory, the Israeli military said. Israel's army has now resumed combat against Hamas. In a statement yesterday after meeting with Secretary Blinken, Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu said, quote, We swore and I swore to eliminate Hamas. Nothing will stop us. This announcement comes after a week-long temporary pause in the fighting that allowed the exchange of prisoners and hostages and allowed humanitarian aid to flow into Gaza, where roughly 2 million Palestinians have been caught up in the war that began after Hamas's October 7 attack on Israel. Brian Mann, NPR News, Tel Aviv. The government of Qatar says it is continuing to mediate in the conflict. The Qatari government released a statement today expressing deep regret that fighting has started again between Israel and Hamas. This is the second full day of the World Climate Summit in the United Arab Emirates. Today, delegates are considering how a warming planet affects the world's crops. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke to the summit today, warning that without a stop to climate change, world hunger will grow. A growing population means the global demand for food is likely to increase by an estimated 50% by the year 2050. An escalating climate crisis means that crop yields could drop by as much as 30% over that same period. So, do the math. Secretary General Antonio Guterres is continuing to plead with world governments to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. He warns the consequences to the planet are catastrophic. This morning, the House of Representatives will take a third expulsion vote on New York Republican Congressman George Santos. He's been charged with corruption, and the House Ethics Committee has released a report alleging he's committed even more crimes. NPR's Eric McDaniel reports that Santos has denied wrongdoing. 
George Santos is facing 23 federal criminal charges and has admitted to lying about much of his biography. But the first-term representative won't leave Congress willingly. At a press conference Thursday morning, Santos called out his fellow lawmakers. It's just an unfortunate circumstance to sit here and watch Congress waste the American people's time. Santos has survived previous attempts to remove him from office, but in the wake of the report, it appears his time in office may be short. Eric McDaniel, NPR News, The Capitol. On Wall Street in pre-market trading, stock futures are down. This is NPR. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. $3 billion in supplemental state funding remains in limbo. Last night, House Republicans on Beacon Hill successfully blocked the budget's passage by calling for a formal debate. The group objects to policies surrounding $250 million for the state's emergency shelter system. House Ways and Means Chair Democrat Aaron Michaelwitz says he remains confident the bill will pass in an informal session despite the delay. We've passed many bills in the informal session process. Last year, we passed a huge economic development bill. Similar amount of money, I think it was about $3 million that was involved, you know, that was able to move forward in an informal session. We've done this before. This isn't uh, anything new, uh, and it's not something that we're uh, overly concerned about. Funding for special education and raises for public workers are also tied into the bill. For the first time, people incarcerated in Massachusetts will be able to call, email, or video chat their family and friends at no cost. Governor Healy signed the measure into law last month. WBUR's Amy Sokolow has a reaction. Attorney Bonnie Tanarello has been fighting for more than a decade to make it easier for incarcerated people to stay in contact. She says it's critical for helping them succeed when they're released. It's so important for people inside prison, a very traumatic environment, to have contact with the outside world just to maintain their sanity. Somerville resident Geralise Fonseca says she spends four to $500 a month to call her incarcerated fiancé. He is a father figure to my child, and so we love talking to him. It just was crazy how much the cost really was. She says she's planning to use the money she'll save to take her son on a trip to London. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Amy Sokolow. After tomorrow, high school students will no longer be able to take the SAT on paper. As WBUR's Carrie Young reports, the standardized college admissions test will go fully digital next year. The digital tests differ from the paper versions in a couple of ways. First, they're adaptive. If a student answers the first set of questions correctly, the second set is more difficult. The digital test is also an hour shorter. Brian Leaf teaches SAT prep classes privately and at the University of Massachusetts during the summer. He says his students seem unfazed by the change. They're not super thinking about the specifics of the SAT until their time comes. And so like some of the students who are taking it digitally kind of barely even have processed that their predecessors were taking it on paper. Leaf says the biggest adjustments are on his end. Starting next year, his curriculum will include digital practice tests. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Carrie Young. It's 807. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Sincere Foundation, which supports organizations that provide food security, housing stability, and safe spaces, and envisions a future where everyone has the opportunity to celebrate, recognize milestones, and honor memories. Sincere Foundation. Learn more and see if your program qualifies at Sincere.com. 
Three different Bruins scored last night at the Garden. The Bees shut out the San Jose Sharks 3-0. Boston will visit Toronto tomorrow. Tonight, the Celtics will host the Philadelphia 76ers. And the Patriots game against the Chiefs later this month has been moved from Monday night to Sunday afternoon on the 17th. The networks reserve the right to change the primetime schedule to get what they deem more interesting teams. And it seems like the 2-9 and nine Patriots aren't that interesting. The ESPN reports this is the first time a game has been moved off Monday night for that reason. Increasing clouds today and a chance for showers later this afternoon. It'll be in the mid-50s. Showers overnight, it'll be near 40. Cloudy tomorrow and in the mid-50s. Another chance for rain on Sunday and in the lower 50s. It's 44 degrees in Boston. Thanks for listening to WBUR. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Rockefeller Foundation. Making opportunity universal and sustainable for over 100 years. At NPR and this station, we're not beholden to anybody but you. Public media is central to our democracy, so please keep it strong and donate today. Good morning. It's a Friday morning on WBUR, and you are listening to Morning Edition, as you always do, because we are your dependable companion and source of news absolutely every single morning when you are getting ready for your day. You depend on us for important news, like news we have today about lead pipes being replaced and pushback against a proposed bill that targets LGBTQ plus people in Ghana and there's a story about a respiratory illness going around um, among dogs, which I, I have to say I was very, very, was paying close attention to. That is the work we are asking you to support. We are in our year-end fundraiser. We're coming back to you in this season of giving, asking you to make sure this service continues. And it's a great time to give because this is the last day you can be entered in to a, win a trip to go anywhere in the world. It's a $10,000 customizable trip that will fulfill your dreams. So look at your bucket list and think about where you want to go and go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 to give. I am joined this morning by the wonderful Radio Boston <laughs> host, Tiziana Deering. Good morning, Tiziana. Thank you, Rupa. Good morning to you, too. You know, sometimes it feels like the things that we believe in will just last forever. I mean, a few years ago, if we, we had said to a Patriots fan that they would be reportedly the first team <laughs> ever yanked off of Monday Night Football, it would have been inconceivable. Mm-hmm. And I think for many, it is inconceivable that someday WBUR might not be here. Mm-hmm. But without members and without give, people giving, we won't. Uh, we are asking you to help make sure that doesn't happen. Today is the perfect day to do that because you get the bonus of being in on this sweepstakes to go anywhere you want in the world. I'm just going to give you the number 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. The urgency really is making sure we will always be there for you. But the fun is dreaming of when you do that, where else in the world you might get to go. I'm Kayla from Burlington, New Jersey, and I would say that the spot on top of my vacation bucket list right now is Rio de Janeiro. 
Hi, this is Casey from Somerville. My number one bucket list destination is Australia. I would love to go there because my parents lived there when they were in their 20s, and I'd love to just walk in their footsteps and see the sights that they saw and see the old apartment that they lived in, just get to experience all the animals and the nature and the culture that is in Australia. When you go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 and give, you get a chance to go anywhere in the world. But only today. That that whole chance goes away at the end of today. And you also, when you give $12 a month, you can prepare for that amazing trip that you've been dreaming about by studying with the bubble, Babel. <laughs> oh, it's getting too late in the day. Babel language app. I almost app. made that mistake earlier. Yeah. Um, this is this is your chance to learn a language, the, one of the most popular ways possible. This is the best language learning app out there. For $12 a month, a gift to WBUR, you can support WBUR, get behind the news and information and voices that fight for truth and facts that you want to make sure keeps coming. And you can get this uh, year-long subscription to Babbel, and you are entered into a trip to maybe use the language that you learn through Babbel with a trip anywhere you want to go. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 and start thinking about. I'm thinking about Galapagos, because I think that maybe people will not be able to go to the Galapagos pretty soon. Mm. And also Machu Picchu. That's that's on my Those list. Those are your dreams. Yeah. Well, the list will end uh, for free after today. So make that contribution today. Make it now. Um, our CEO, Margaret Lowe, points out that our members make sure we can report on the stories we know about, but more importantly, the ones we don't. Mm. There will be more of those, and we will need more members, more supporters to keep up with the rate of change in the world. Do it now, please. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And thanks. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Fidelity Investments, reminding you it's never too early to start saving for your child's future. Learn more about a tax-advantaged 529 college savings account and how you can use the money to pay for qualified expenses at fidelity.com slash ufund. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. And Goddard House in Brookline, an innovative senior community for those seeking meaning, growth, and purpose in each and every day. GoddardHouse.org. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Leila Faldil. The truce between Hamas and Israel is over. Hello, Leila. It is true. Um, the pause is over and they've resumed the attack. Shema Ahmed sent me this voice note this morning. She's a 20-year-old computer engineering student in central Gaza. We woke up today to the sounds of gunfire, tank fire, ship fire, and gunfire. It's, it's coming from all directions. Now, Israel says Hamas opened fire first with rockets. Each side then blames the other for the collapse of a seven-day ceasefire. They are talking of renewing it, but as they talk, the new Israeli airstrikes have killed multiple family members, including children. <laughs> (laughs) 
NPR's Daniel Estrin is with us now from Tel Aviv. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Leila. So, you know, I was just listening to so much pain in those cries. Can you tell us what we were hearing there? Our producer Anas Baba recorded that in a hospital in southern Gaza. It's Fadwa Mekdad crying out for her five-year-old daughter, Juri, who died. And she said, my beloved, it was going to be your birthday. I was going to make you a cake. He filmed 12 bodies there at the hospital wrapped in white body bags. Uh, he said they're members of four different families killed in an Israeli strike. Here is what Anas Baba also told me. We were totally surprised. Most of the people were uh, in the market because today is Friday and the markets are totally going to be like crowded with people. Most of the uh, residents of the south, of the south uh, they were expecting uh, that this, this Friday is going to be like with having the family reunion and to have like a, a good lunch because I was... And there is, this is another bombardment, Daniel. This is another bombardment in Rafah City. It's very close to me. This is the second one. So people caught off guard. I mean, how did the ceasefire break down? Well, there was a rocket fire from Gaza onto Israel just before the ceasefire was set to expire this morning. And both sides were accusing each other of a breakdown in talks to renew the ceasefire. Israel blamed Hamas for not agreeing to release the female hostages it was supposed to today. Hamas said Israel refused its offers to release elderly hostages and the bodies of hostages who had been killed. When the ceasefire broke down, our colleague Brian Mann was at a Tel Aviv square where there are supporters of hostages gathering. And he spoke to an Israeli, Yoav Shalhav, who personally knows two hostages still in Gaza. And he said Israel, he thinks, should prioritize their release before renewing the military campaign against Hamas feel very bad about the whole uh, issue. Our main concern is getting back not only these two guys, but everyone. I think this should be the first priority. And the issue with Hamas is important. It should be resolved, but it can be second priority. This is my personal opinion. Qatar says it is mediating now between Israel and Hamas to return to a ceasefire, but that the bombing now in Gaza complicates those efforts. Yeah, I mean, and the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, just left Israel. Did his visit make any difference here? Blinken did call for Israel to announce specific safe zones where civilians in Gaza can uh, go to and be safe from bombings. Israel says it did drop leaflets saying where people should evacuate. And this morning, the army posted an interactive map online with neighborhoods numbered for future evacuation if instructed. But uh, Leila, this is a very complicated looking map online. Uh, just navigating it on your phone is difficult. And, and if people in Gaza, they don't often have internet connection, uh, just main street names are posted there. We don't know if Israel has already used this map to announce evacuation zones. We do know that there are already children and family members dead this morning. NPR's Daniel Estrin. Thank you, Daniel. You're very welcome. Who has the power to regulate immigration? The Texas legislature has passed a bill to give more power to state and local police to arrest people who illegally cross the border from Mexico. The latest immigration effort from state leadership and Governor Greg Abbott also dedicates more than $1.4 billion for border barriers and law enforcement. Julian Aguilar of the Texas Newsroom reports. Texas has already arrested thousands of migrants who crossed the Rio Grande under current state trespassing laws. But that isn't enough for Governor Abbott. Under his direction, lawmakers recently passed Senate Bill 4, which creates a new state crime for unauthorized entry from a foreign nation. The charges range from a misdemeanor to a felony, depending on a migrant's criminal record. The author of the bill, Republican State Senator Charles Perry, 
said the legislation is necessary to protect U.S. citizens from the federal government's failures on border security and what he calls America's dangerously open borders. Cartel enterprise, terrorist infiltration, fentanyl crises, human smuggling, where people are treated as commodities. This is a response for Texas to do what it needs to do to protect the citizens under an imminent and undeniable threat. But immigrant rights advocates say the law promotes racial profiling. They fear the law could target just about anyone, but especially people of color and families of mixed immigration status. This is really going to potentially rip families apart. This is just dangerous for health and well-being. Marisa Limon Garza directs the El Paso-based Las Americas Immigrant Advocacy Center. She says the law has already sent waves of fear across immigrant communities, even though it's still unclear how police will enforce it locally. It's very difficult to quantify what a behavior looks like for people that are impacted by this, now knowing that any traffic stop, any whatever is going to pass as probable cause, can lead to this arrest, detaining of them, and then ultimately deportation. It's not just the arrest component of the new law that has opponents sounding the alarm. The law applies statewide and targets all people suspected of entering the state illegally. So a person could be questioned about their immigration status hundreds of miles away from the border. The bill also permits a magistrate judge to order any migrant to return to their country via a port of entry, regardless of whether they are from Mexico. Dallas Democratic State Representative Victoria Nieve-Criado chairs the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus. You just imagine the real conundrum that a lot of our local law enforcement are going to have to deal with in terms of determining, one, who they're going to return, where they're going to return them to, and who's going to pay the fee. You know, are you going to pay for a flight? Legal groups are preparing to challenge the law in federal court. They'll argue the federal government, not individual states, has jurisdiction over immigration matters. But Republicans are hopeful that, should SB4 reach the U.S. Supreme Court, the conservative majority will reconsider a 2012 decision that solidified federal control over immigration, similar to the way it gutted a landmark abortion ruling last year. But immigration law experts in Texas and across the country say immigration is different from abortion, health care, or safety, which the top court has ruled the states have the right to regulate. David Donati is with the American Civil Liberties Union of Texas. The state of Texas can pass its own laws about marketing tobacco products, for example, about how to regulate Medicaid, about traffic laws. Immigration controls, deportation, absolutely are outside of that window of what the states are usually free to legislate. The new law is awaiting Governor Abbott's signature and, should it survive a legal challenge, will go into effect in about 90 days from now. For NPR News, I'm Julian Aguilar in El Paso. Today, North Carolina becomes the latest state to fully expand Medicaid. Jason DeBruin of member station WUNC helps us understand what that means. Irina Johnson helps run a mobile health clinic in Ahoski, a small town in northeastern North Carolina. The thing that stands out to me the most is transportation. That's why this clinic makes stops all over the county. We have a lot of patients that lack transportation, so they can't get into the doctor's office, so we're able to go out to them. Now, Medicaid will cover transportation costs for some patients, but Johnson says this mobile clinic will not go away. In bigger cities, patients can call up a rideshare app. Johnson laughs at that notion for Ahoski, a town of 5,000 residents. There's nothing like that here. <laughs> no, there's no Uber, there's no Lyft. No, you either have a car, you're walking, or the mobile unit's coming to you. 
Inside, the mobile clinic looks, well, just like a doctor's office. You have a seat. It has one of those padded patient chairs common in physician offices everywhere. Johnson preps an inflatable armband to read blood pressure. It also has a wheelchair lift for patients who might struggle up the narrow steps. This mobile clinic is part of Roanoke Chowan Community Health Center. Its CEO, Kim Schwartz, says now that more people will have health insurance, they're expecting 1,500 more patients. So, yes, we'll see an uptick. And, yes, that'll have an impact. She knows it will bring in some more revenue and also hopes it'll improve the health of her center's rural patients. Like other southern states with Republican-controlled legislatures, North Carolina has long opposed expanding Medicaid as it was tied to the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare. But it did an about-face this year after some lawmakers said it was clear the ACA would not be overturned and the state was foregoing lucrative federal incentives. Starting this week, North Carolina hospitals are getting $2.6 billion because of Medicaid expansion. And more people with insurance is great news for Al Goddard. He runs a small primary care clinic in the one-stoplight town of Colerain. He sees a lot of poor, uninsured patients. If he refers them to specialists or writes prescriptions, he knows he's recommending treatment that's been cost-prohibitive for many of them. When a person has a choice between do I pay the light bill and buy groceries or do I buy medicine, I got to do one or the other. Until now, full Medicaid coverage in North Carolina was only available for low-income residents who are disabled, elderly, children, and those who are pregnant through one year after childbirth. Some very low-income parents could also qualify. Starting today, Goddard says hundreds of thousands of North Carolinians who couldn't afford health insurance can now sign up. At least they can now get their regular lab test. They can come in regularly for their office visits. They have a chance now. There are now 10 states still left that have not expanded Medicaid. Most of them are in the South. For NPR News, I'm Jason DeBruin in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is NPR News. Thanks for spending your Friday morning with WBUR. Coming up in 20 minutes on Morning Edition, it's Friday, so we'll hear StoryCorps and a story about a caregiver who spent four decades caring for AIDS patients. And we're following the latest on the resumption of fighting in Gaza. Stay with us throughout the day for the latest developments in the situation with Israel and Hamas. It's 826. We're funded by you, our listeners. And by BU's Metropolitan College, offering graduate degrees providing competitive skills in the field of marketing. Find on-campus master's programs in areas such as advertising and innovation and technology, along with online degrees in health communication and global marketing management. Visit bu.edu met and Solar Gardens, offering solar subscriptions that allow households to access the benefits of solar power through off-site solar fields. Learn more at solargardensma.com. I'm Daryl C. Murphy. The journalism you get from WBUR depends on a strong foundation of listener support. And that's why your monthly gift is crucial. Make a modest monthly contribution that will have deep meaning and a big impact every day. Give now at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. 
This is our year-end fundraiser on WBOR. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Tiziana Deering. Today is your last day to give to support the high-quality journalism you rely on to be there for you 24-7 and at the same time get the chance to go on a trip anywhere in the world. That's not an opportunity that's around for long. It ends at the end of the day. So give now before you get into your day and the day gets away from you. Go to WBOR.org or call one 800 909 99287. Here's Tiziana. You know, as our CEO, Margaret Lowe, often reminds us, we are not behind a paywall. And that's important because everyone needs to be able to rely on the quality news and information we provide you. Um, And these are tough financial times. Mm -hmm. Not everyone can give. If you can, you are giving a gift not only to support WBUR, but to give WBUR to your community. Now, this trip, it's a trip for two. You can't give the trip away if you win it. But, man, if you know somebody who needs a boost and could not take themselves anywhere in the world, what joy to bring them with you. What just an extra lift and boost. It's wonderful to dream of these things. Let me just give you the number, 1-800-909-9287 or W. WBUR.org. Memories like that last a lifetime. Hi, I'm Kayla from Burlington, New Jersey, and I would say the best place I've ever visited was the island of Jamaica. My name is Bautina, I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina. The best place I've ever traveled to is definitely Paris. Hi, this is Casey from Somerville. The best trip I've ever been on was when I got to go to just south of Acadia National Park called Northeast Harbor with my family a couple years ago. And while we were sailing, there were dolphins that were swimming next to us. I do love Acadia as much (laughs) as everyone else in New England, but I would urge you if you get this trip to go maybe a little bit further and use more of this $10,000 that you get with this trip. And you really could win this chance to go anywhere in the world, but only if you give today. And when you give $12 a month, you'll also get a subscription to Babbel, the language learning app, so you can prepare for wherever you're going on the trip by learning a new language, which is Again, absolutely possible because this is the best language learning app that's out there. It's so much that you get for supporting WBUR when you also get, you know, the work that we bring you this every morning, both internationally and locally. This morning, WBUR Simone Rios has news about housing investors in greater Boston buying up nearly one in four residential properties. We know you care about that work. You also care about a mix that we bring you. We bring joy to your morning like a segment today that rounds up the funniest books of the year. This is important to you. You get this mix of news and entertainment and lightness and every morning just by going to WBUR.org or 90.9. So please give. Show your support. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. The news keeps coming, and it's going to keep coming faster, and we are committed to keeping up, but we will need more members to keep up. We're asking you to be the one. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org and do it now so that you have a chance for the trip. Thanks. Support for NPR comes from this station and from CrowdStrike, whose cybersecurity platform is designed to protect organizations by monitoring trillions of cyber events to detect threats and prevent breaches before they happen. CrowdStrike, protection that powers you. 
from Procter & Gamble, maker of Metamucil, a fiber supplement containing psyllium, a plant-based fiber for trapping and removing waste in the digestive system, designed to be taken every day. More at metamucil.com. From StoryWorth, each week, StoryWorth emails a loved one a question about their life. After a year, they'll publish family memories into a bound book to keep forever. Learn more at StoryWorth.com. And from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation at rwjf.org. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Israel is once again launching attacks against Hamas in Gaza. Fighting resumed following a seven-day pause. We woke up today to the sounds of gunfire, tank fire, cruise ship fire and gunfire. It's, it's coming from all directions. That's Shema Ahmed, a 20-year-old Palestinian computer engineering student in central Gaza. During the truce, Hamas released more than 100 hostages kidnapped in southern Israel on October 7th. Israel freed 240 Palestinians held in Israeli jails. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was in Israel yesterday seeking another extension of that truce. President Biden still wants Congress to approve tens of billions of dollars for Ukraine, as well as more aid to Israel and additional money for operations along the U.S. southern border. A separate negotiation over border policy is holding up that funding. Some Republicans in the House say they won't approve Biden's latest request for Ukraine unless it's attached to tougher border security measures. NPR's Franco Ordonez says the dynamics of the debate have changed. Big cities like Chicago and New York are scrambling to accommodate busloads of arriving migrants. And you have Democratic mayors and Democratic governors calling on Biden to do more on the border. This is NPR News. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. Housing investors in greater Boston are buying up nearly one in four residential properties. That's a steady increase over the last two decades. WBUR Simone Rios has more on new research out today from the Metropolitan Area Planning Council. The researchers say investors accounted for 16 percent of sales in 2004, a number that climbed to 23 percent by 2018. The investment is most heavily concentrated in urban neighborhoods of color, places like Roxbury, Lynn, and Chelsea. Triple-deckers are a hot target for speculators. According to the study, more than half of three-decker sales in recent years have gone to investors. One policy floated to discourage speculation, give tenants the first shot at buying when their landlord decides to sell. Researchers also say rent stabilization would keep speculation at bay and lower the cost of housing. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Simone Rios. Three students from Worcester Polytechnic Institute are among the thousands in Dubai attending the United Nations Climate Change Conference. The global event convenes scientists, industry leaders, and heads of state. Kenza Bazad of Woburn is a senior at WPI. She's hoping to learn about making medicine development more sustainable. Especially getting to work in labs, you don't really think about the waste that is accompanied by a lot of research and development testing and bringing products to the medical industry. So going to this conference, I'm really excited to learn about the innovation and the technology that's coming. The U.N. conference runs through next week.
There's another setback to efforts to build a soccer stadium in Everett. A proposal included in this year's state closeout budget would have permitted the stadium to be built on the waterfront in the city. Right now, that area can only be used for marine industrial work. But the proposal did not get passed as part of the budget. What happens next for the stadium plan won't be decided until next year. It's 8.35. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Plymouth Rock Assurance, who believes auto and home insurance should be straightforward and works to assure their customers at every step. PlymouthRock.com slash WBUR. The Bruins beat the San Jose Sharks 3-0 last night at the Garden. Also tonight at the Garden, the Celtics will host the Philadelphia 76ers. Mid-50s today under skies that will grow increasingly overcast, bringing a chance of rain late this afternoon. The the clouds stick around tonight as it falls to the low 40s. Mostly cloudy in mid-50s tomorrow. Rain on Sunday in the upper 40s. It's 45 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station and from your part-time controller, specializing in nonprofit accounting. Your part-time controller helps nonprofit organizations with their accounting needs, remotely or in person. More at yourparttimecontroller.com. And from the Nature Conservancy, partnering with communities across the globe to find solutions to the climate and biodiversity crises, committed to building a future where people and nature can thrive. Nature.org slash solutions. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Leila Faldil. And I'm Steve Inskeep. Good morning. We are considering the legacy of Henry Kissinger, former National Security Advisor and Secretary of State, who has died at age 100. The writer Jeremy Suri told us this week he admired Kissinger's ability to get things done, but that Kissinger also had a way of, quote, kissing up to power. So if you look at his record, he's much better at achieving things that serve the interests of, shall we say, first world countries and the leaders of those first world countries. And his record in what we would call the global south is much poorer because those are relationships that mattered less to him. Okay, let's hear from someone from the global south. Over the course of a decade during the Vietnam War, the United States attacked Laos, a neighboring country. B-52 bombers were constantly overhead. Now, Kissinger did not start the bombing of Laos, but as National Security Advisor and Secretary of State, he was deeply involved for years. Bo Tau-Urabi lived through that bombing as a child in Laos and now lives in Minneapolis, from which she joins us. Good morning. Good morning. So you were there um, until the age of six, until 1973. These were years when the war was going on. What are your family memories and family stories of that time? Um, sure. Uh, as as you mentioned, I was born really at the height of that secret war in Laos. And so that was probably the period where the heaviest bombing happened. And um, I'll just remind folks that the U.S. dropped more than two million tons of bombs uh, that contain more than 270 million cluster bombs inside them uh, on Laos. And it became the most bomb country of any war. And so for nine years, every eight minutes, a bomb was dropped on Laos. And, um, you know, I think as a child, I just remember seeing the sky lit up almost every minute, you know, um, uh, when you look up. And I think that's the experience of many uh, Hmong Americans who are here now. 
The idea of a secret war is hard to get your brain around in the 21st, um, the 21st century. The idea that it took the first six or seven years before the United States had to disclose it was even doing this. Obviously, it was not secret to you or to your family, right? That's that's correct. Yes. How the Hmong had been. Yeah, the Hmong had been. Um, I think the theory the Americans had was that no American soldier would be killed um, there, and Laos was an, supposed to be a neutral country at that time, um, but because it uh, it was, you know, some parts of it was used by the communists to move supply lines, and so the U.S. CIA went in and recruited the Hmong along with other ethnic uh, Lao soldiers to um, fight uh, on the ground, and their missions were pretty simple to destroy supplies, uh, the supply line, but also to rescue downed American pilots. And, and so that, that was their, that was their role. And my father, along with thousands of Hmong soldiers fought in that war. Your father was a veteran of that war, you're saying? Yes, that's correct. He was, Mm. uh, what they called a secret guerrilla, um, soldier for the USCIA. Um, And you're pointing out there was, from the U.S. perspective, a justification. North Vietnam was sending supplies uh, through uh, the the, the landscape and through the roads of Laos into South Vietnam. Uh, Kissinger, among many other American officials, supported this effort to interdict that, which seems never to have worked. Looking back on it now, what do you make of this particular part of Henry Kissinger's legacy? Yeah. Well, I think considering what I hear from many Hmong elders about their understanding of that agreement to serve the um, to serve America, um, and then Kissinger really playing such a, a big role in supporting that co- um, in implementing that covert operation, um, and then afterwards, uh, really when the U.S. Uh, signed peace agreements to leave, they pretty much left the Hmong. Um, to themselves, right? <laughs> Even if they recognized that the Hmong were going to be sought out for persecution, mm. um, that that was not something that Kissinger played a big role in terms of post uh, the Americans leaving. Meaning that that people like your family were left to your own devices to get to safety ultimately in the United States. Right, that's correct. Bo Tao Urabi is a Hmong community organizer and activist. Thanks very much for your insights. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Some lawmakers in Ghana want to send people to jail simply for identifying as LGBTQ. And that's why a Catholic cardinal, seen as a leading candidate for Pope, is speaking out. And Pierre's Emmanuel Akinwotu reports. My position has simply been this, that LGBT gay people may not be uh, criminalized because they've committed no crime. To criminalize anybody, you need to be able to identify the crime. These comments by Cardinal Peter Turkson in Ghana have reverberated around the country. He told the BBC's Hard Talk program that while he was still against gay marriage, homosexuality should not be criminalized. But neither should this position also become something to be imposed on cultures which are not yet ready to accept stuff like that. Catholic bishops have been part of a powerful coalition of religious, civil and political groups in support of a controversial anti-gay law in Ghana. This united position 
has now been challenged. It's time to begin education to help people understand what this phenomenon is. For the last few years, hysteria against gay people has grown intense in the largely religious and conservative West African country, encouraged by international actors like US evangelical groups. A draft bill in Ghana's parliament would punish anyone who identifies as an LGBTQ plus person with up to three years in jail. Campaigners or supporters could also face up to 10 years. A far harsher law was adopted in Uganda earlier this year. Very few people of stature in Ghanaian society have been bold enough to come out and say, no, we don't think that it should be criminalised. Professor Audrey Gachepo is an academic at the University of Ghana. She said until now, a tense climate for perceived allies of LGBTQ plus people has silenced criticism of the bill. He is the most prominent person in Ghanaian society who has done that. And it comes with all of the moral authority that such a person commands. The comments from Turkson may have marked a shift. The deputy majority leader in parliament also came out against the bill. Others may soon follow. A legal challenge has delayed the passage of the bill, but if it reaches a vote, it is expected to pass. Then Ghana's president, Nana Akufo-Addo, will have to decide whether to sign the bill into law. Emmanuel Akinwotu, NPR News, Accra. This is NPR News. You're with WBUR on a Friday morning in 20 minutes, the latest on the new airstrikes by Israel against Hamas from the BBC News Hour. Stay with us throughout the day for updates. Right now it's 8.44. WBUR supporters include Jewish Arts Collaborative with Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, Music, Arts, Jelly Donuts, and more. December 7th, Museum of Fine Arts, jartsboston.org, and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts. Medicare plans for every lifestyle and budget. Visit bluecrossma.com go. At NPR and this station, editorial integrity is non-negotiable. Your support ensures that our journalism remains independent. Stand with us and donate right now. We're in our year-end fundraiser here at WBUR, and today is the last day to make your monthly contribution to WBUR, which is what you do anyway, because this is the time of the year when you think about your year-end giving and support the organizations that are important to you. And we know WBUR is among them. So you can do what you were going to do anyway and also get entered into a sweepstakes to go anywhere in the world. This is a chance to create a $10,000 trip anywhere you want to go. But that opportunity ends at the end of today. So act now. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi here with Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Do you know anyone in your friend or family group who says, oh, I don't follow the news? I do. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, right? That's not you. Because you're listening this morning. And there are hundreds of thousands of people who listen to WBUR alongside you because that's not them either. Not all of them can afford to listen. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because we don't charge anything. However, in order to keep doing it, to keep you and those other hundreds of thousands of people in community together, we need some to donate. I'm asking you to be one of them and to do it right now. WBUR will always be free, but we won't always be there unless those who can give, like you, do so to keep us going. 
And doing it right now gives the bonus of getting you in on this sweepstakes to go anywhere in the world. Let me just give you the number, 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And you can take a second to imagine the wonderful places you might go. My name's Terry. I'm from Worcester. The number one place on my bucket list is Lebanon because my grandparents came from there. I'm Debbie from Needham, and I've always wanted to visit Alaska in order to see the natural beauty of Denali National Park. My name is Caroline from Cambridge, and the number one place on my bucket list is Egypt. And I've always wanted to go because of the pyramids, ruins, and the incredible history and culture that there is to see there. Oh, there was a mention of Denali there. I am so lucky. I've been able to go there, and yeah, is it gorgeous? Gosh, oh my gosh, it just stays with you your entire life. It's mm-hmm. like a, the the kind of like untouched beauty that you know is out there, and when you finally see it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is what the world was like before people. It's amazing. Anyway, get a trip to go anywhere in the world, get a chance to go on a trip anywhere in the world like Denali. And when you give $12 a month, get a one-year subscription to the language learning app Babbel. This is the most popular language learning app. It's a fun way of learning. There are just 10 to 15-minute bite-sized lessons, and you can learn at a pace that suits your lifestyle. And if you're wondering what languages you can learn, there are 14 to choose from, Spanish, German, French, Italian, also Turkish, Polish, also Swedish and Norwegian and Danish, which can be very challenging. But if you're going for it, I encourage you. Maybe you just want to learn a language. Maybe you're heading out on a trip. Maybe you're banking on winning the trip to go anywhere in the world. And again, today is the last day you can be entered into that sweepstakes. You can do all of that as well as support facts and a reliable source of information for your community, which is more important than ever. We need you to step up and make sure this service continues and keeps the people around you informed. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you. WBUR supporters include Sincere Foundation which supports organizations that provide food security, housing stability, and safe spaces, and envisions a future where everyone has the opportunity to celebrate, recognize milestones, and honor memories. Sincere Foundation. Learn more and see if your program qualifies at Sincere.com. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Leila Faudel. The Environmental Protection Agency wants to make cities replace their lead water pipes within the next decade. It would cost billions. But the agency says removing the threat of lead contamination will improve kids' IQ scores, reduce high blood pressure, and lower the risk of heart disease in adults. The proposal comes nine years after a crisis in Flint, Michigan, when the drinking water was tainted by lead. Melissa Mays lives in Flint. She founded the advocacy group What Are You Fighting For?, And she's with us now. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So I want to get a sense of what you think of this new proposal. It's being described as the Flint effect. Well, since we found out in 2015 that, you know, for the previous 18 months, our water had been contaminated with lead, which was something we thought had been removed as a as a concern because lead and paint had been taken care of. And, you know, at least they were working on getting rid of all of that. Lead and gas was gone. But then lead and drinking water was something new to us. Mm-hmm. So we had been fighting all these years to make sure nobody else had to go through what we've been going through, dealing with behavioral issues in adults, children and seniors 
heart problems, cardiovascular, immune system, all of the widespread negative impacts that lead has had on our lives. Yeah. And we're glad that the EPA is finally moving to change and update this 1991 year old, uh, you know, law. And hopefully there won't be more flints, but unfortunately the proposed law makes it look like that might not be the case. Mm. And now in spite of years of legal action, Flint still hasn't finished replacing all its lead pipes. So how realistic is this proposal that every U.S. city in this country will replace their lead pipes within 10 years? We filed in 2015 to sue to remove all of the lead and galvanized steel service lines in Flint. And in 2017, all the parties agreed to have this done starting in 2017 and ending in 2020. Well, for the past several years, myself and our attorneys and all of uh, the, the residents impacted, we've all been in court to make sure this gets done right. I, my hope is that all of the things that have happened to us and all the loopholes that the politicians and the agencies and you know everybody has found to slow this process down um, will be ironed out so no other city has to go through this and they focus on the importance on getting the lead out because it's been almost 10 years in Flint yeah. and things aren't getting better our water is not better and we're seeing other cities like Benton Harbor Michigan and you know Newark New Jersey who have been done like the, the the pipes were out because it was prioritized and we're hoping that the program moves more like this but the EPA is going to have to put some teeth into the law to to basically bring about consequences if, you know, the government, the state, whoever is running that, that water system doesn't do what they're supposed to do and finds loopholes to get out of the work like what's happened to us in Flint still. And that doesn't exist right now? The law doesn't have the teeth that you want it to? No. And that's one of my big concerns. And giving a 10-year line, you know, allowing 10 years or longer for some bigger cities, up to 40 years for cities like Chicago, um, that's a huge concern because the longer that the water sits like this, the worse it gets. We just had someone over the summer test at for over 14,000 parts per billion of lead. 5,000 is hazardous waste because as long as these pipes sit there, it, it, it just it gets worse. So we want this to be a priority and done fast and done right. Melissa Mays in Flint, Michigan. Thank you, Melissa, for your time. Thank you. It's Friday, which is when we hear from StoryCorps. And on this World AIDS Day, we hear from someone who has spent 40 years caring for people with HIV. In the early days, I used to sit with babies who were positive for HIV, and all I did was just hold them and rock and sing. You know what the biggest joy was? Finding a smile in that small, sick child, that just made my week. Mm. Joseph Rogers Britton. During the height of the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s, he cared for gay men living with HIV, and he met and fell in love with another caregiver named Stephen. Joseph talked about that with his friend Jeff Moore at StoryCorps. We met doing volunteer work, HIV work, me caring for someone who was dying with HIV. Our first dates for the first six months, we're sitting on a porch swing every single day and talking till three in the morning. We missed every single dinner date, every movie, <laughs> and that led into a 30-year relationship. And then we found out that we both love gardening. Stephen and I used to have a tradition that every fall when the winter freeze on the rose gardens, we would go and raid the roses. We would snip them all down. And we're talking about a carload of nothing but roses. And then we would go home, have glasses of wine, and we'd fill up every vessel we could find, whether it's a soup can, a bottle, or whatever. 
and we'd secretly run around to every single house of a senior citizen, a single mother, and we'd leave bouquets of roses at their door. And we'd do this all night long. We were giving it out to those who don't get out. Certainly that kindness that you emanate has meant a lot to me since I've known you. When you experience people living and dying together, it breaks it down to the things that are important. And it's not the glitz. Mm -hmm. It's the simple touches. You know, so many people thought that HIV is a death sentence. I've always been very proud of the fact that I'm a living individual with HIV. Mm -hmm. You see everything as an opportunity because you're here. And you really believe and you live if you put kindness out there, kindness is going to come back. I can guarantee it. Joseph Rogers Britton speaking with his friend Jeff Moore. Joseph's longtime partner Stephen died of lymphoma in 2019. Their conversation has been archived in the Library of Congress. Major support for StoryCorps comes from Dignity Memorial, dedicated to celebrating each life with compassion and attention to detail. They help to plan life celebrations now so families don't have to later. Learn more at DignityMemorial.com. And from Subaru, the Subaru Share the Love event runs through January 2nd. By year's end, Subaru and its retailers will have donated over $285 million to charity. Subaru.com share. This is NPR News. WBUR supporters include the Boston Foundation. Knowing it will take all of us to improve lives and strengthen communities, the Boston Foundation partners with leaders and changemakers to advance equity and power a better Boston. The Boston Foundation. Move equity. Move Boston. Learn more at tbf.org. And Boston Ballet's The Nutcracker. Beloved characters and stunning dancing will enchant audiences of all ages through December 31st. Tickets at bostonballet.org. This is Morning Edition on WBUR. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Tiziana Deering, and we're in our year-end fundraiser. Today is the last day you can support WBUR and, at the same time, get entered into a trip to go anywhere in the world. Take advantage of this amazing opportunity to win a $10,000 trip while also having a huge impact for WBUR. It will create more of the arts coverage you value and look forward to, more of the news you depend on every morning because you want to know what's going on in the world. Join all the other listeners who have already stepped up to make sure this service will be there for you and your community and their kids and your grandkids for years to come. Give at WBUR.org or call one 800 909-9287. And here's Tiziana. You know, I'm still thinking about that story, Cora. Joseph Rogers Britton, wherever you are out there, thank you. Uh, and, um, you know, those bouquets of flowers, that's what you do for everyone who listens to WBUR when you give. <laughs> everyone relies on WBUR. It's free for everyone. We'll never have a paywall. But not everyone can pay. Uh, if you can, we're asking you to be the one. Uh, and we're asking you to do it now 
because it's fun to be able to give you something, right? <laughs> and the giving you something is the sweepstakes, which ends today. So come on in and do it now. But the point is, it's the gift. It's the gift to us to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And it's the gift to your community to keep bringing WBUR, to keep bringing StoryCorps and the news to everyone, the hundreds of thousands of people who rely on it every week. one 800 9289 or WBUR.org. You could win that trip to go anywhere in the world if you act today. And if you give $12 a month, you get a year-long subscription to the language learning app Babbel. So you can communicate on that trip. At the same time, as Tiziana was saying, you'll be supporting WBUR, which is a really meaningful thing to do because WBUR, yeah, it's a news organization, but we're also a community, a community that you can connect with and feel a part of, especially when you give and support WBUR. Listeners built WBUR. They've spent years and decades doing just that and building into it into what it is now. Listeners keep us at this level. They keep us as a pillar in your community. You keep us yes. <laughs> as a pillar in this community. Yes. And this is when we need to remind you that that support needs to be continual in order to keep this service coming to you at the level you expect. Again, listeners make up the largest share of our funding We need you to be one of them that steps up and contributes and makes sure that WBUR is there at the level you want it to be for your community, for people who maybe can't step up right now because these are tough times. Be there for them. Be there for your community. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. The world keeps changing. The stories keep coming. We have run as fast as we can to keep up. And because of the listeners who have given, we've been able to. It's going to happen more. They're going to come even faster. We need more members to help us do the next wave. Be one of those and do it now to get in on the sweepstakes because why not? Why not get that extra bonus? Mm-hmm. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And thanks. WBUR supporters include Babson College, where an MBA or specialized master's equips you with the skills to take action and lead with confidence. Gain the highly sought-after entrepreneurial mindset at Babson, ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News & World Report and 10th best college in America by The Wall Street Journal, babson.edu slash gradprograms and Cambridge School of Culinary Arts in Porter Square with cooking and baking workshops, technique and regional cuisine series, and cooking couples classes. CambridgeCulinary.com. I'm Chief Content Officer Victor Hernandez. This is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org, WBUR. Boston's NPR news station.